Namaste and welcome everyone to this Wednesday 10 p.m. show. And uh, of course, we have Sri Vibhuti Cha as uh, every Wednesday we have. And uh, today we have uh, Sri Sandeep Balakrishna. I think uh, most uh, people on General Dialogues would know him, on Jaipur Dialogues would know him. But just to recap, he is an uh, author, columnist, broadcaster, and of course, uh, I'm sure you would all have Dharma Dispatch as your compulsory reading. So that's Sandeep Balakrishna for you. Welcome, Sandeep ji. And uh, Vipiti ji, as Namaste. always. Namaste. Namaste. Uh, Sandeep ji's uh, some notable works, if uh, you don't know them already, is that fantastic book, uh, that research material on Tipu Sultan, Tipu the Tyrant of Mysore, and his translation of Avaran. That's uh, another masterpiece, Berepas Avaran. And uh, recent uh, Invaders and Infidels. That is the first part of a series of books on the early part of Islamic history of India. So, welcome, Sandeep Ji. And today we are here to be coached on the history of Vijayanagar because, uh, uh, like most Indians, we have not been taught about it. So, Vijayanagar, as we famously know, is probably the, as people say, you have to tell us that it was uh, Acharya Vidyaranya who created out of uh, two valiant Sanatanis who had been converted and brought back. So, please do tell us how this empire uh, came to be. Okay. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be back again on uh, Jaipur Dialogues as always and uh, a greater pleasure to be interacting for the first time with uh, Shri Vibhuti Jaji and as always my good friend and uh, partner in many crimes, Sanjay Dikshit Ji. So, okay. Uh, how detailed or how short would you like my answer to be? Would you like it to be brief? See, we, 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 we have uh, budgeted for about one hour, including audience questions. So okay. at about 45-minute uh, mark, we would go to audience questions. So, uh, okay. And we are going to ask you about the origin, about mm -hmm. the glories, about the art, about the culture, about mm -hmm. its position in the, um, the committee of nations of those times. Uh, and... Uh, 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 Krishna Devaraya, and of course the Battle of Talikot. Yeah, well, you need about 10 episodes to cover all this. <laughs> but okay, without wasting any more time, we'll see how much we can squeeze in. So, always a pleasure to talk about Vijayanagar. So, just to give a background, uh, you know, of the origins of Vijayanagar Empire, we have to see, we have to contextualize it in the larger context of the Islamic invasions that had you know, pretty much ravaged all of North India and including part, and it had made, uh, you know, very brutal inroads into South India. So this occurred, uh, you know, the first Muslim uh, invasion into South India occurred uh, in the time of Alauddin Khalji. And uh, more so, the maximum devastation was caused by uh, his trusted lieutenant and his uh, uh, gay partner, uh, his man Friday, literally, Malik Kafur. So, uh, he left, you know, after breaking Devagiri, which is unfortunately called Daulatabad today in uh, Maharashtra, 
after breaking that alauddin khalji pretty much you know had a free run more or less speaking because as usual short sighted hindu kingdoms were fighting in south india four or five major powers kakatiyas at warangal which is uh, in those days muslim chronicles call it as telangana uh, so that is one and then in karnataka you had uh, the hoysala emperor veeraballala third and then in the uh, tamil region you had two warring brothers pandya brothers jatavarman sundara pandya and another veera pandya and uh, then on the other side you obviously had this yadava power at uh, devagiri so this in general is a broad uh, layout of you know historical context so what happened with that one brutal invasion and with all these warring powers lot of these people for example shockingly ramachandra deva of yadava dynasty in devagiri he actually sent his own forces to assist alauddin khalji and malik kafur to break hoysalas and to break uh, this guy uh, prataparudra in uh, warangal so this was a scene so for the very first time hindus in south india had a first hand taste of what an all out islamic invasion means and it would never remain the same again even today it is not the same again so this fellow went all the way up to rameshwaram almost the tip of india so for 70 years south india became a smoking ruin and the psychological effect above all more than the physical destruction and killing and slaughter the psychological effect on the hindus was unprecedented nobody could even come to terms that you know war can be sought you know, fought in in this fashion that anybody can be so savage so all they were looking for is some kind of was some kind of solid leadership to be precise 68 years south india hindu south india was in a state of complete disarray and chaos so it is that in that you know uh, scenario that you know maharshi vidyaranya i mean some people object when i use the word maharshi but okay like you mentioned uh, acharya vidyaranya or swami vidyaranya his original name is madhavacharya purvashrama name is madhavacharya so he got in two brothers the sangama brothers were actually five brothers total but these two were uh, pretty much prominent and that very distinguished in their valor and other qualities contrary to uh, i have to you know slightly correct you here sanjay uh, ji that you know contrary to this popular uh, 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 you know perception that the harihara and bukka were had been converted and taken to delhi then they came back and they were reconverted by uh, you know garbapsi done by uh, vidyaranand swami that is not true at all that that comes from uh, this with many accounts foremost is its uh, uh, one by robert siegel so that has been that has been conclusively uh, you know disproven so that is a small aside so it is in also, this we all learned about vijayanagar from sham benegal so you we can be <laughs> oh well okay oh, well okay that is going a different tangent he <laughs> so, originally the house of sangama in english it's called house of sangama so the house of sangama were serving as mandaladishas and military commanders mandaladisha is a governor roughly speaking of the hoysala dynasty okay you had lot of mandaladishwaras in un, under every large hindu kingdom so these people were also one among them okay like for example their uh, colleagues one distinguished colleague was a great warrior and a governor called hariyappa odeya or hariyappa nayaka so you have a 
legions of all these extraordinary warriors who came together and they took spiritual uh, not only spiritual guidance from <clears throat> maharshi swami vidyaranya they also took strategy from him very few people are aware that vidyaranya swami and his extraordinary brother sayanacharya but for whom we wouldn't have these vedabhashyas uh, surviving intact in the form pristine form that it is today even today the vedabhashyas which are taught here in south india or elsewhere for that matter they are the gift of uh, uh, you know sayanacharya and uh, to a great extent is uh, illustrious uh, elder brother madhavacharya so these people actually held swords they mounted horses and they were in the thick of the battle they were warriors they did not sit in some cave and meditate and say ah dekho bhaiya ye log naam and you go out and fight no that is not true at all that is not true at all so they also gave not only spiritual guidance but also strategy and once the vijayanagar empire was you know uh, established firmly these house of sangama all the five brothers were allocated to different uh, 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 frontiers for example gomantaka which is known as goa today so all the in all four directions all these five brothers were appointed so harihara was ruling in the capital city of vijayanagara so at that time both uh, vidyaranya swami and sayana and uh, uh, you know other people wise uh, illustrious people they used to be administrators you know like mahamantri so this in general is a brief origins of the vijayanagara empire i mean just condensed it uh, uh, to the best of my ability okay sir so uh, we can move on to the notable rulers and their accomplishments okay so obviously the first dynasty the sangama dynasty you had uh, uh, harihara bukka then followed by his sons virakampraya kampana the second and uh, bukkaraya the second so this that dynasty went on for nearly uh, uh, for about 3 quarters of a century and then the next distinguished uh, great ruler comes uh, you know the devaraya uh, the second or immadi devaraya uh, unfortunately devaraya the second his regime has to be uh, you know studied with the seriousness that it deserves and it is you know the kind of expansion that he did you know both militarily and culturally the influence that you know uh, the level that he brought the vijayanagara empire that has not been studied with the detail and the depth and you know the seriousness that it actually merits because uh, you know you have this towering giant like krishna devaraya so he has he has overshadowed uh, devaraya the second or prouda devaraya so uh, that was another notable ruler notable ruler sorry and followed by that is a saluva dynasty the house of saluva basically so you had saluva narasimha and uh, uh, he was widely known as a usurper uh, but whatever when he came came to power he actually you know one thing all these dynasties the four or five houses that ruled vijayanagara did was that what would be the chronology be when do you put the beginning of the vijayanagara empire what year okay 1336 is a traditional date which is largely correct but they came into prominence in 1347 and you know they stamped their 
suzerainty by 1378 or 13 1380 so roughly you can take 1347 as you know the unstoppable rise that you know there pretty much no no opponents anywhere in south india simply because the vision given by swami vidyaranya and its implementation its execution by these people was given wholehearted uni- unified support by all the hindus pretty much in south india because they had right. realized that you know if we repeat the same mistakes that you know the hoysalas did you know there is no future for us so this is why all chronicles in vijayanagara and about vijayanagara written during that time or even later <coughs> they invariably add the suffix to vijayanagara empire as the custodian of hindu dharma in south india without this mandatory suffix no chronicle proceeds further so that is right. one and the second epoch you can glorious epoch of uh, proudadevaraya is in the mid 15th century and then obviously you have uh, salwa who came at the end of the 15th century and uh, by 1509 you had you know you had the ascent of this great shri krishna devaraya so this is a rough uh, chronology Okay, so uh, Sri Krishna Devaraya is supposed to be the apotheosis of the Vijayanagara Empire. Absolutely, and it, is, it was considered to be the uh, richest, most prosperous, uh, most accomplished uh, at that point of time. So, yeah. do tell us why it was so, so renowned. Well, one was uh, the empire building. You know, the sheer size of Vijayanagara Empire. which uh, you know encompassed all of south india and they had imperial hold even over kerala but you know uh, kerala is a different beast i mean that is you can see what is happening today and uh, see this is a same kerala which drove away adi shankaracharya and you know you know uh, fought against him hindus in kerala you know they denied the permission to adi shankara from they kind of prevented him from performing the last rites of his own mother so that is one anecdotal evidence then you have swami vivekananda as recent as swami vivekananda okay in 19th century he says that kerala is a lunatic asylum <laughs> so that, that, <laughs> that that's why that's why it has a high literacy rate <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you liked it <laughs> yeah. so anyway going back to that you know kerala would, kings of kerala would pay uh, uh, tributes to the vijayanagara empire and uh, largely it was under their imperial control so the samuris of kerala okay the word portuguese word zamoran it comes from the word samuri which means a king or a chieftain or a raja so anyway so they had pretty much all of south india under their control and krishna devaraya during his uh, uh, you know tenure he also annexed uh, kalinga empire that is odisha so gajapati he led a campaign victorious campaign then he defeated him you know got tribute he became his vassal all those things but the kind of wealth most of wealth that uh, you know 
and the prosperity that the Vijayanagara Empire enjoyed in Krishna Devaraya's reign came from you know extraordinary trade, both inland trade and maritime trade. And one of the greatest, some of the greatest ports included the Coromandel, what is known as Coromandel in English, that coast. And on uh, this side, on the Arabian Sea, Honnavara, which is near Mangalore today. So that was one of the world's greatest trading hubs for spices and precious uh, metals, precious items. Corals, rubies, pearls, spices, which went out from India, basically. So it was bursting with money. <clears throat> Comparable to, you know, post-World War II American prosperity, right? The prosperity of US that we, you know, uh, people talk about actually occurred after World War II. Please correct me if I'm wrong. So at least the perception that we have today of that. So you, you can kind of, you know, compare it uh, with that. Vijayanagara, then you had extensive trade links with, uh, you know, places like Iran, which was still Persia then. So Iran, even Afghanistan, of all places. So everybody wanted a, you know, a, a piece of the Vijayanagara pie. So lots, and you should look at, you know, uh, the building constructions there. I've written a five-part uh, piece on that. You know, just one indicator of any, uh, you know, prosper zenith of prosperity is the demand for luxury goods. Okay, Krishna Devaraya had a separate ministry for making perfumes. One ministry, minister okay. for perfume. Okay. 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 And people who were skilled in making perfumes, you name it, okay. If anything was there in nature from which a new perfume could be extracted, you would find that in the factories, in the perfume making factories. Okay, right. then you had all these, you know, luxurious carpets, rugs, elephants used to literally enjoy royal status. You had specialists who made decorations for elephants of all sizes, you know, depending on, you know, they had a hierarchy. Even elephants had a hierarchy for elephants, for horses. And if Mahanavami, Mysore Dasara is so famous today, its origins come from Vijayanagara. So it was said that, you know, the whole wealth of the world would be concentrated in just this one city during Dasara, all, all those nine days. So this, this was, I mean, you can go on and on and houses. Okay. People had now, you know, hundred by hundred and, you know, all these mansions, nothing. So these were what to call as middle-class people, your typical average citizen. He would have, you know, two or three storied houses. And each floor, each story, you would have a separate niche just to watch moonlight. Okay. Okay. Carvings. You know, inside the house, you have pillars, right? If you have, most of us are familiar with these old style uh, Hindu houses, how we used to build. So inside, you would have typically pillars in the living room, in the veranda, all those places. You had exquisite carvings. Lot of those things, when the whole thing was destroyed, those carvings were smuggled all the way to Europe, where they fished enormous prices. This was, I'm talking about the pre-colonial era, 16th century, 16th and, you know, till the middle of 17th century. So you have 
a whole lot of evidence that shows this. This was a standard only. Then you had, you know, gardens, which were like mini forests behind the house, where you would have a pool and all kinds of birds would be there, peacocks would be there, rabbits would be there, assortment of parrots of different colors, shapes and sizes would be there. They would be taught uh, love songs, lyrical poetry, basically. Okay, and right. then okay. jewelry, both men and women. Jewelry was a prized item, and Krishna Devaraya would frown upon you know the mark of decency, for example, in the king's eyes. Mark of a cultured man was the tasteful jewelry, and both in terms of uh, uh, you know the craftsmanship as well as a quantity. So you would wear your earrings. Men uh, typically didn't wear the nose ring, but earrings, uh, you know, a headband studded, your peta would be studded with all kinds of precious jewelry, necklaces, uh, bracelets, and something called Ganda Pendera for your ankles. So without this, and of course, you, all these co costly uh, clothing, right, decorative clothing, you would wear all this and then only step out of the house. Otherwise, your what you call respectability standing in the society would come down. Okay. <laughs> I can there was no Gandhi-like figure at that time, is it? No, no, not at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so look, these people, you know, it was it, what, what is known as zeitgeist or the spirit of the age, right? That was larger than life. They wrote long poetry. They ate copiously, they exercised like hell, they were generous to a fault, they honored the wise people truly, in the real sense of the word, not just giving away some Padma award or something like that. And they would honor spiritual people, you know, give them bath, give them whatever, make give whatever facilities they wanted if they were going on a Tirtha Yatra, they would give them, you know, lavish endowments, just like that. Okay, here it is. Take some three, four kgs worth of necklace would be given. So this was the spirit of the age. It was larger than life. You know, people lived extravagantly. They donated extravagantly. And they also attained moksha in a very grand fashion. Okay, that's interesting. So uh, what would you say about the... Uh... Uh, literary uh, and artistic accomplishments of that period mm. and also uh, what was the social organization and the military organization like mm, okay i have to summarize this in a, uh, very quickly so yes. first and, and i and yeah. next question would be asked by vibhuti ji so vibhuti ji <laughs> okay yeah yeah get ready ready with your questions let me finish this quickly <laughs> so uh, literature, copious amount of literature was produced throughout, uh, you know, uh, as long as that grand empire existed. So during the 14th century, especially in, uh, sorry, Pravdadevaraya or Devaraya II, during his uh, rule, uh, Kannada literature flourished, which is the era in which a great Kannada poet, uh, you know, Kumaravyasa is known as uh, Narayanappa. So he produced... Uh, Karnata Bharata Katha Manjari, which is a uh, Kannada rendition of uh, Vedavyasa's Mahabharata. 
so it is still a classic it is it, it occupies the same reverential uh, status that vyasa uh, rishi's uh, original does so and then you had a lot of these vachana uh, uh, saints shaiva saints they composed uh, you know a lot of these devotional uh, uh, literature and uh, but it was uh, telugu literature that actually you know took wings during the later part of the vijayanagara empire and especially in the rule of krishna devaraya so you had these famous ashtadiggajas which means uh, you know eight uh, you know uh, gems eight literary gems in uh, krishna devaraya's time all of them speak of their monarch with such affection with such love with such feeling it brings tears to your eyes so i think uh, uh, one poet i forget his name so i don't want to invoke a wrong name so after his patron king dies he writes a very very heartfelt poem he says where can we find someone like you again who is the very avatar of narsimha and he laments it's very moving so the best of telugu literature and both in terms of uh, you know the pro- prolificity of the output as well as uh, quality it emerged during uh, uh, krishna devaraya's time or during the later part of the vijayanagara empire so most of it they had continued to remain popular lot of uh, stanzas lot of verses lot of episodes from these literature of that time are still used in popular telugu cinema even today okay. so that's this, wonderful yeah, what, was, what was the, what was the uh, language of the empire language okay that's a good point so uh, i'm glad you brought this up because all these kings were patrons of learning okay you didn't have this language uh, battles that we unfortunately have which had been engineered you know due after independence sadly because almost all hindu kings were patrons of learning and they accorded a high place to you know poets and literatures and scholars so krishna devaraya for example he patronized scholars scholars from as far as nadia navadvipa today in bengal that is a hell hole today now so they would they would come all the way travel all the way to hampi to <coughs> vijayanagara <coughs> seek an audience and they were patronized from orissa from tamil nadu from karnataka obviously um, because it was a kannada empire basically so from karnataka from andhra that is telugu all tamil all these languages were patronized so when you say official language there was no one official language in the sense that we understand it today but uh, what was widely understood the lingua franca and all that were typically kannada and telugu and in the tamil dominions it was obviously tamil hmm. okay ஒரு and then uh, the center which is you know which intersects today's andhra and uh, karnataka so if vijayanagara or hampi what you know as hampi today if that was a capital so all the regions lying 
you know uh, this side and that side south uh, south of vijayanagara all these places were administratively one classified into one unit then the northern part which was the most vulnerable or the most dangerous border which was shared with the bahmani kings muslim uh, rulers so that was another administrative unit and you had uh, what you call governors for each of these uh, uh, provinces these administrative units and the standing army which comprised uh, an, a large elephant force a substantial horse force both cavalry infantry huge number of foot soldiers in running into god knows how many lakhs and then it also could boast of a very very strong navy and these were all commanded by dandanayakas or dandanayakas which means uh, you can call them commanders or generals roughly speaking and under them they had you know different nayakas palegars which means palegars were typically uh, chieftains uh, who oh, swore allegiance sent revenue sent their troops and were generally loyal to the imperial king so each time a major or a minor battle wherever it was fought so these contingents from the main imperial army would sometimes go there depending on the battle or these palegars or poligars they would you know send their forces so this is pretty much how the military was uh, structured I'm, i'm simplifying it in a very very brutal fashion but i hope you get an idea so that, that is the military part and uh, social uh, thing actually we can do a separate episode but here's the thing it was the classical they adhere to the classical uh, social hindu social organization varnashrama dharma because if there was one thing that the vijayanagara people had promised the rulers had promised from day one was to maintain something called purvada maryade it is a kannada term meaning the respect given or and or sustaining the old traditions intact so everything even in small matters as you know a village dispute they would refer back to the earlier traditional precept okay how was this done during the chola period in the 10th century i'm just kind of you know uh, dumbing it down in a manner of speaking and then they would adhere to those principles now if a new tax reform had to be introduced or a new tax had to be levied the administration would take care it would make an announcement it would seek the consent of the people and if they said no it would be dropped okay so this was you know this pretty much this old respecting old traditions was maintained even in the uh, social organization so you you know the four varnas there so because you have four varnas you st- i mean people shouldn't uh, assume this nonsense that that is current today you know all the lower castes were oppressed and this this and that that is uh, entirely untrue actually okay Past- <laughs> there is no evidence of any oppression at all that's right no no not even not even no, a little fogging here was, and there no sanjay ji whatever little was there it happens in every society even today whether the british accepts it or not and anyway britain is inconsequential in any scheme of thing so if with it is a deeply class driven society it is a very status conscious society 
ओके सो एनी वे बैक टू दिस गो समेर तो दिस एंड सी दीपल ऑफ दो बिलोंगिंग टू विच एवर वर्ना ओके when they did not complain about this existing system in fact they embraced it wholeheartedly as long as their varna rules as long as their traditions were not infringed upon they were happy living in this uh, social organization you have tons of inscriptions and i can uh, uh, you know i think i'll do a series on that later on dharma dispatch tons of inscriptions which show this last week i done a piece on you know the how to uh, very enterprising barbers they they gain royal prominence and they are invited and honored in the court of uh, uh, sadashivaraya the last vijayanagara king they were barbers i don't know wonder what god forsaken classification today it falls they fall under but anyway so they shared the you know court uh, manners there they were honored guests in fact this one barber okay his name is kandoja so he one poet comes okay he is seeking you know royal patronage but for some reason he doesn't get an audience in the court so he hears of this kandoja's generosity and his you know thing and he approaches him he says look this is my problem and you know i'm my path to you know being uh, to patronage is being blocked by a lot of jealous people so help me so this guy listens to him patiently he's he's convinced of this guys he's genuine so he uses his influence and gets him patronage in the court he's a barber oppressed lower caste really <laughs> and these are all political uh, and we don't need to take them seriously anyway so this and they were very happy with this uh, social setup and a lot of them were honored because of the professions they followed okay so anyway we had a class of uh, singers called bhattars their only job was to and they had generational memory of other people's lineages okay so anyway uh, this was roughly the social organization there was a lot of economic mobility right you have examples of what are today known as uh, prostitutes okay you have i can give you at least 2000 examples i have that much of documentation i'm not blowing my trumpet or anything but these are the facts at least 2000 examples of devadasis okay they in tamil in telugu country even today they are called sami okay devadasis basically they have built in all i mean prolific number of lakes throughout south india So what nonsense are these guys talking about anyway so this is pretty much uh, the social organization aspect of it anyway that deserves a uh, you know independent volume which can run up to 2000 3000 anyway we, we 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 can definitely take today's uh, uh, show as an introductory kind of a show yeah. of course as i would request mm-hmm. all my audience to please uh, start asking questions mm-hmm. and also to share this video or to like it and to go into our description and support us and follow us uh, vibhuti ji i i'm 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 enjoying the classroom and mm. this is one of Hello. those one of those moments in in my time when you are on tv and yet you are your mouth is shut and <laughs> it's a good feeling 
Sandeepji, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for the invitation. But you made a very interesting and very powerful statement. Mm. And that statement is, I'm going to use it with mm. your permission or without. I'm Go ahead, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you said economic development, when the economic mm. development happens, the demand for luxury goods go high. Yes. And whatever little I know of the Vijayanagar Empire, Mm. It was a very prosperous era, both with yes. temple architecture, both with the honoring of the students and the literature and people, gyanis and everything else. The important part here is that they knew the democracy, the democratic way of functioning. Mm. They sowed the seeds of functioning of democracy. But the issue is, why didn't we learn anything from it? Is it because we were so badly decimated? annihilated mm. by the Muslim rulers because Krishna Dev Rai gave access to Portuguese mm. which after the destruction of the Vijayanagar Empire led mm. to Goa Inquisition. Think mm. about yeah. it. It's yeah. a very important lesson in life that when you form your alliance, be mm. aware of the potential consequences of the acts of others. The other thing which I wanted to also take take back is that the Battle of Talikota was decided on January 26th. Hmm. Interestingly enough, that's our Republic Day. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Uh, yes, I, think, so uh, I just wanted to I, focus on the economic. I, I had to ask a few things before Battle of Talikota. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, I'll address it. Yeah, well, uh, points, all points well taken, Vibhutiji. The, the thing is, this has been the bane. The, your last point that you mentioned about, you know, you're so badly decimated, that has been the bane of all Hindu empires. That, you know, not, this... Uh, let, let me ask about, the, before we get to Battle of Dalikota, okay, Battle okay. of Dalikota, uh, okay. uh, how did uh, uh, the uh, Vijayanagar kings start relying on these mercenaries? Mm. Because as I understand, that wasn't the original scheme of things. So mm. why did they have to start recruiting and appeasing the mercenaries as uh, uh, Ramaraya II uh, mm. uh, supposed to have done? Mm. No, no, this, okay, great point. So you have to go back. So this takes us all the way back to the initial days, okay, of Mahmud of Ghazni's invasion. This fellow, Anandapala, or his uh, son, Anandapala, uh, 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 or his son or grandson or his father, uh, I forget uh, uh, his name. So he is defeated uh, uh, by uh, Mahmud of Ghazni, uh, right? Jayapala Deva's son or grandson, one of the two. So he says that, okay, you want to go invade further into Indian territory, now that I've accepted you, uh, now that, you know, I've accepted you as my overlord, I will, it is my duty as your uh, vassal to assist you in your battles. So a lot of Muslim kings, Muslim invasions, Muslim conquests of other Hindu kingdoms were affected by Hindu soldiers in the Islamic, uh, in the invaders uh, army. So when you say that, you know, uh, uh, Krishnadevaraya recruited uh, Muslim troops in his uh, uh, in his own army, 
so you have a history dating back so many years so many centuries and on the other side also the scene is the same there were a lot of uh, 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 muslim kings who employed him the soldiers but this does not mean to say that you know therefore hindu rulers is equal to islamic invaders you can't draw that equation based on this yeah of course the concept of the doctrine of war is completely different simple that's it total so war this, against war of combatants so that's yeah. completely so this was this was a fundamental failing on the part of these people saw themselves as guardians of their own empire not of these hindu kings so in the interest of truthfulness objectivity fairness this was a glaring failure on their part it was a weakness like i mentioned in my book right this this happened because of the loss of aryavarta consciousness once that was gone then you know all these consequences were only logical uh, another thing is that uh, they supposed to have uh, gone to the extent of uh, uh, recruiting such commanders who would not bow before the king and in order to uh, yes. make a pretense yes. of uh, yes. uh, having yes. them bow before the king they would keep a quran next to them on the throne when did this, this practice begin this began unfortunately with vijayanagar only no which king krishna devaraya also did it ramaraya did it ramaraya technically was not a king but he was a he was a real power behind the throne sadashivaraya that means that uh, there wasn't uh, enough purva paksha done on the nature of the islamic beast exactly exactly none of our scholars are great hindu scholars pandits with due reverence to them they did not care to read the quran we had to wait till swami dayananda saraswati came on the scene that is 19th century 19th century <laughs> what a terrible thing to now on to the battle of talikot <laughs> now the battle of talikot is very i have only one thing to say that uh, yeah. the golconda bijapur and all the they formed the alliance they were supposedly irritated mm. or they did not like uh, the vijayanagar empire you know establishing mm. establishing mm. its own hegemony mm. kind of things so, they did not like the, the vijayanagar defeating them one by one uh, yes one by one again. so they colluded they colluded the word collusion comes in there they mm. colluded and then it is said that there are two reports on that one is that his muslim generals uh, you know sabotaged him and also the fact that one of his very good generals died in the war and the mm. entire army lost what is the truth about it okay i have i've written a thing on Bat- battle of talikota uh, on dharma dispatch it's a fairly long essay long form okay. you can read the details in that but broadly speaking what you say is uh, you know historically uh, this historical evidence for that okay the major two things happened on the uh, battlefield on the actual battlefield one was the defection of a large contingent of muslim soldiers within the vijayanagara army and that betrayal was led by gilani brothers 
you see the name Gilani. What all? Yeah, I was just going to ask the same Gilanis who are now in Kashmir. Afghans. <laughs> same. This is an Afghan surname. Yeah. DNA will be the same. So DNA will be the same. Good one. Good one. <laughs> so that, that, that was one. And Ramaraya himself, uh, well, one major important general dying on the battlefield to an extent is true, but a lot of a uh, lot of factors came together for that kind of a you know crushing defeat to occur. One Ramaraya was extremely old. He was, I think, what eighty-five or something. Uh -huh. That is no age to lead a battle in the front. Okay, and that should also tell you the kind of prowess and military strength that we had, sheer brutal strength, that at 80, you get on an elephant, lead an entire army of some something like 4-5 lakhs of huge number. So, a lot of factors came together, betrayal, then uh, a lot of disarray happened on the uh, battlefield and uh, uh, bad planning, bad strategy, confusion. So everything that shouldn't happen. See, sometimes one battle, a you know, uh, where, you, where you have a sure shot chance at victory, that can turn into a defeat with just one small insignificant, uh, uh, you know, episode or some freak accident or something like that. But in this case, everything came together. So right. it's like this, it's like this classic story of a bald guy. Okay, uh, he goes out in the sun, and you know he has, he feels dizzy, and uh, he feels thirsty, and then he goes and he finds some pool of water, only to find that it is muddy water. Then he's fatigued, and as he goes, you know, trudges along, a mad dog chases him. So somehow to escape that mad dog, he finally, you know, runs and escapes from it and sits underneath a coconut tree. Within two seconds, the coconut falls on his bald head and snaps it, smashes it. So this is Talikota. <laughs> I hope you were not referring to my, you were not inspired by my bald head. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, also bald. <laughs> I'm also bald here. So it applies to me as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's, a, that's a very good way to uh, say But it. the empire did not finish with Talikota. That's right. Uh, yeah, the empire did not finish. Actually, uh, the devastation of Hampi, Vijayanagar and the surroundings was so horrific that it left a permanent scar. That is one. Two, it could never regain that when such an imperial umbrella-like thing, power, political power, is smashed bits in such a fashion. The pieces can never come back again. This was not a setback. Previous Vijayanagara kings had suffered setbacks on and off. But nothing you know, actually shattered their empire on this scale. So, I mean, it went along for about uh, another uh, 150 years, if I'm not mistaken. But it could never regain its uh, uh, political power or its territories. Okay. That is a 
it got cult- largely confined to the telugu territories after that is it yeah yeah uh, more or less pelukonda uh, in and around ballari anigundi that that region right hmm. uh, i think we are ripe for audience questions so okay. let's go 